Welcome to Live and Love Your Brand, a podcast to support you in sharing your message and mission with the world. I'm your host, Emma Lovell. I'm lovely by name, lovely by nature. I'm a personal branding specialist with a mission to support female entrepreneurs to live and love their brand. I've been running my business, Lovely Communications, for more than 12 years, and I can hand on heart say that my success has come from the strength of my personal brand. I believe in the power of owning and sharing our story. I want to help you own your story, shop consistently, and really put yourself out there. So here on the podcast, you'll find helpful tips, practical exercises, and joyful discussions that will inspire you to reconnect with your brand and communicate it more effectively. I'll be joined by incredible experts to discuss how personal branding can have a huge impact on your business and on your life. I'd love to hear from you, so please make sure to connect over on social media. You can find me on Instagram at lovelycoms, that's L-O-V-E-L-L-Y, double the L means double the life, Facebook, Lovely Communications, and you can join in the conversation in our lovely community, the Live and Love Your Brand Facebook group. Of course, make sure to come back weekly as each new episode drops. I can't wait to share with you how to gain clarity, build confidence, and increase connections all by sharing your unique personal brand with the world. Lovely Communications is based on the Gold Coast and recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of this place, now known as Australia. We are grateful for the continuing care of the lands, waterways and skies where we work, live, listen, learn and play. From here on your Gumbay country and from wherever you are listening, we respect the elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to this very special podcast episode. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing my 100-year-old cousin. Yes, you heard that right. He is my grandmother's cousin, my dad's mum's cousin, so my first cousin twice removed, but I simply call him Cuzzy, and he is one of the most special people I know, and he absolutely lives and loves his own personal brand, and it has made him many, many friends. It has led to an 80-year career in magic. Yes, he is a magician, and I just wanted to share some of his special moments some of his wisdom and some of his stories um, from 100 years of life and 100 years of connection and, you know, really just have some time to honour him. So thank you for listening. I get emotional in this one because it means so much to me and he's absolutely one of my role models, probably one of my most important role models to live the life as you are and to honor who you are and to build connections and build relationships and to help others to be their best selves because that's what Cuzzy does. So please enjoy this wonderful, wonderful man on this very special 100-year-old episode. Good morning. I'm Bill Hunter. I'm in Palm Springs with my cousin once removed, Emma from Australia and She's been here, her and her family have been here for a few days for my big 100th birthday party that was in Phoenix uh, on the 23rd and uh, we had 60 people there and it was a great event. It was, yes. Well, 
we're here now yes celebrating your 100 years but i've been to visit you i can't count anymore maybe 11 no maybe more times 12 or 13 times i've come to see you in the u.s many many times for sure yeah so i just wanted to have you come on and you would usually be a distant relative because we are you're my grandma's cousin say we've my first cousin twice removed my dad's mom's cousin but we're pretty close aren't we indeed we are yeah i love you very much and what i wanted to to share was that um you know i'm a personal brand coach now so i help people to promote themselves and to share who they are and and to share their story and i think that you do that the best of anyone i i've known thank you i think that you're no matter if you're on stage or if you're in person that you're the same and you're very consistent but uh you know i i love this book called how to win friends and influence people and i thought i said have you read it have i read it i took the course it was by <laughs> dale carnegie i took the course way back oh my gosh when i was 23 years old yeah that was what in because 1946 I was, I was quite shy as a child and speaking in front of people was difficult for me and would if i had to do a report at school in front of the class i told my mother i didn't feel good and she said well you better stay home today and that's what i wanted to hear yeah <laughs> well i said you could have written the book and then you told me that you did the course which i thought was pretty wild yeah so in 1946 in new york you did it uh, no, the course was in Rockford, Illinois. In Rockford. Oh. Yeah, in, in 46 or 47. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. But one of, the, uh, one of the things the instructor taught us first, everybody was to bring a rolled-up newspaper to class that night, and their theory was, if you're mad, anybody can talk. Mm-hmm. If you're mad. So we had to think of an experience when we were furious about something and bang that newspaper on the table and away we go. Yeah. And that was their theory, you know, and it, it is. If people are mad, they'll talk. Yes, that's true. And if you're, I know that whenever I've written a blog or an email for my audience, the best ones I've written are when I'm emotional. So whether I'm upset mm-hmm. um, or very um I love, like, if I write something about you, I'm very mm-hmm. emotional because I love you. And then, or if I'm very angry about something that's, you know, an injustice, then, yeah, you write better. I communicate better. Yes. I think. You got to check it back so you don't say something too crazy. But, mm-hmm. and did that, you know, help you with your mm-hmm. magic? Because we should let people know you're a magician. You've been performing magic for 80, 80 years. 80 years. All due to Steve Beloys. Steve Beloys. So tell us about that. Why? How did you meet Steve? And It was World War II. I was a gunner in the Navy, and I happened to pick up malaria from the islands that we were visiting, New Guinea at the time. And uh, we were in Australia for supplies for the ship. We were ready to sail, and I wasn't feeling well. And the officer said that I should go to the Navy sick bay that was downtown Sydney. And he said, you've got time run down there before we sail. So I did, and when the doctor 
examined me. He said, uh, son, you're going to the hospital. I said, I can't. We're sailing in about three hours. He said, I said, you're going to the hospital. <laughs> You've got malaria. Yeah. And so in the hospital, it was a huge hospital. It wasn't what hospitals like you think is just barracks, just big buildings and 80 people on narrow cots, uh, what we slept on. Is the the whole the entire hospital was probably five thousand patients. Yeah, wow. All U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, to make a long story short, Steve Beloy's the great fighter from New York, uh, boxer. Um, at the time, he was rated one of the top middleweights in the world, and of course, the war came along and he went into service, and he was in service as a celebrity to perform boxing events and to talk to people and so forth but Steve himself was in the hospital for headaches at the time and uh, we became friends Steve happened to be an amateur magician mostly with cards and I'd never seen anybody perform like that before and so I was highly impressed and we made friends we became very close friends and he started me sharing his talents and secrets of magic and of course when I went home after the war where I continued practicing and uh, soon the Rotary Club from Monroe says we'll give you five dollars and lunch if you come out and do your stuff. Yeah. And as I tell people that was my first paid show and I'm almost up to ten dollars now. <laughs> I love it. Well that was something you told me last night because um, you're now 100 years old and we are in Palm Springs, and we went to the Marvin's Magic Theater. And your friend Jeff Hobson owns that, who's a wonderful magician. And you actually perform, did a little performance before the show started. I did. Jeff asked me if I would like to do uh, just a little thing, to, as he wanted to be introduced me as a 100-year-old magician and still, still could uh, do a trick. You did, and you were very charming, as always, very funny, you told a joke, warmed up the crowd, and then you performed your trick, and it was so impressive. And But one of the things we talked about was, um, you know, there were a couple other magicians there, and I said, you know, you said a long time ago that it's not the craft. You have to be good with your hands, and you have to know how to perform the trick, but it's the the storytelling and and your character that's... Yeah, it's it's the patter that uh, uh, makes the difference. Yeah, so and how uh, you engage the audience. And yes, yes. I think that's something true in life as well, isn't it? It was a it was a thrill for me because Jeff Hobson is is rated in amongst the magicians as one of the top magicians in the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. He was brilliant. We'll have to yeah. put his YouTube clip you showed me. That was very funny, um, very good. He's. And it definitely, Jeff has that um, charisma and oh. showmanship because, you know, you're, it's all part of it. It's not just right. doing yeah. the trick. R- right. Is it? Right. That's true. Yeah. And when you've ever taught me tricks, you've told me about the, the things to say as well as, and, you know, you got to do the thing right, but I'm, I've got my magic coloring book that I can do, and it's about how you perform it. And how you captivate right. the Just audience. Two people could tell the same story, but one may tell it much better than the other. You tell stories very well. Mm, thank you. You're very entertaining and very witty. 
Thank you. You're very quick. Try to be. Very <laughs> cheeky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish this was my video. But <clears throat> that's something that I always think of because when people go and do networking and things like that, as you say, it's, it's, you can say anything, but it's the way you say it. That's right. The old saying is not what you say, it's the way that you say it. And how you enter the room as well. I think people think uh, a first impression is when you first meet the person, but it's, it's how you walk in the room, it's how you stand in the room, it's how you dress. You're, very, you're always very well kept together and dress well, and you're very aware of how uh, your impression, the whole experience is of you. My mother taught me that, to always look nice. She did a good job. Yes. One time, I remember I was probably in third grade and I happened to go to school. I had torn my, had a little hole in the knee of my overalls, what we called them then. And uh, the photographer happened to come to the school that day. And when my mother saw me with that hole in the, my trousers with the, <laughs> she was furious. <laughs> <laughs> But did the Navy help that as well? Because in the Navy, in the, you know... Well, the Navy teaches uh, you how to uh, take care of your clothes and yourself. And, mm -hmm. and you be very, you have to be very punctual. Mm -hmm. And you oh, have to be very... Exactly. Keep your bunk neat. Yes, yes I uh, try to be punctual. You're very punctual. <laughs> and keep my fingernails clean. Keep your fingernails clean. Well, you have to because you perform with your hands. Mm -hmm. But um, don't mind me, everyone. My when I speak to Cuzzy, <clears throat> I get an American accent. But I am not. I don't have any American heritage. The reason we're connected, uh, I'm Australian, but your mother was English. Yes, of course. And married a Scotsman. Mm -hmm. And my my family is English. My grandmother was in England. Right. And my great grandmother was <clears throat> the sister of your, your mother. Right. Yes. So, then my father came to Australia in eighty one. Your family came to the U.S. What year? Nineteen twenty one. Nineteen twenty one. Two years, years before I was born. Before mm -hmm. you were born. Mm -hmm. So you're the only American in your family. That's true. Your brothers were born in England. Yes, and they had to get uh, citizenship here. But you have citizenship. I already had it. Mm -hmm. There you go. There's mm -hmm. something interesting. People are always trying to figure out. They're like, but you're Australian, and your parents are English, yeah. and your cousin's American. And I'm like, yes, that's true. Right. <laughs> and because of you and all of your wonderful connections, we now have, we now have family here because everyone who meets you, they love you. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I, <laughs> they do. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, uh, you have to love people to do magic and to perform. Uh, if you don't like people, why you, it's, I don't think you could do it. No. No, but your magic has helped you meet a lot of people. <clears throat> but it's not just the magic. It's not the tricks, it's you. You're a very um, endearing person. Oh, thank you. And you give a lot. You give a lot to people. 
you've been very kind and very generous and very uh, supportive of a lot of people. And when I came here uh, to the U.S. in 2009, I was 20, oh, 24, I guess, 23. <laughs> I can't, 22 I was, got to do the math of my birthday. Um, everybody I met with you, they would pull me aside and they would tell me how much you had meant to them and how much you'd helped them in their life. Yeah, I, I do try to help people. I just say I live by the golden rule to do unto others as they would have, as you would like them to do unto you. Yeah, but you go over and above. You do. And you make people feel, um, you know, again, it's how to win friends and influence people, but it's not, you're not manipulative about it. It's, um, it's not something that you practice. I think you just, it's very natural for you but you make people feel like they're the most special person in the room. If I meet a stranger, they do, as I might say, they give me uh, 10 cents worth of uh, happiness. I try to give them 20 cents worth right back. <laughs> and you do that. You do. And why, why, after that, I just thought, at the time you were, um, oh my gosh, it was like 14 years ago or more. You were already like 86 <laughs> and I thought you know what happens is people say all these nice things about you but usually it's when you're gone and all these people telling me the nice things and I didn't know if you ever got to hear those nice things or if you knew how much you meant to people and so I made with a couple of your friends we made you a book <laughs> yeah well you made that wonderful book for me that's one of my all-time treasures <laughs> Well, I couldn't let those stories go to waste. It was, mm -hmm. you know, and it was so nice of everyone to participate. I think a lot of people, you know, we couldn't reach everybody because you just know so many people. So we've had a lot of, over the years, we've had people say, well, I want to tell my story. I want to tell them how much I love them. And I, I well, say, well, Emma, you you're a very special person in yourself. Well, that's I mean, good. you're, you're a, a great, uh, you're a good businesswoman. You're a personality you know how to interview people you're you're amazing <laughs> you're a multitasker <laughs> i am i do many things <laughs> but it's why we get on and we get on because um you're a communicator we're both communicators i'd like to be a better communicator but uh i, I just do my best <laughs> i don't think that's possible you you still write letters and you still send cards and you love getting mail in the post mm -hmm. you check your p.o box a lot and you're on email and you send text messages and you do phone calls every time i'm with you you call people or they're calling you your birthday was crazy your phone didn't stop all day and then you also facetime yes i try to comb my hair before i do it <laughs> you you FaceTime me like every couple of days and there are people who can't even figure out their phones and you're, you're FaceTiming and I just, it's amazing that we get to stay connected like this. Indeed. It's been so lovely, but that, why is communication so important to you? I'm sorry? Why is communication so important? Well, it keeps you together. Uh, that's the problem is with families that a lot of have, have problems uh, it's because they don't communicate properly 
<clears throat> and let the other person know how they really feel about something and and uh, so yeah mm -hmm. and you do that you tell people and so tell me some of your you also have been very successful in your career I believe because of that communication and because of that relationship building and you actually you've been performing magic for 80 years but you had the same gig you performed at Indy 500, the car race. Mm -hmm. For f 50 years. 50 years. In a row. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Met many, many celebrities and became friends with them. And uh, of the drivers, Indy drivers, I, I probably have a dozen very close Indy drivers. Yeah, Tom Sneva <clears throat> came to your birthday. Tom did. Mm -hmm. And he was the first man to go over... 200 miles an hour to Indianapolis. Wow. He, he was the 1983 winner. Wow. And uh, one year he won the entire championship for the series. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're just... You're just hanging out with them. And I mean, mm -hmm. Indy 500 mm -hmm. is the largest spectator sport in the world. That's true. Uh, years ago, they used to get a half a million people. Uh, these days, it isn't quite that. Uh, probably 350,000. Yeah. But it's still the largest. Yeah. And coming from a country where we don't have a big population, that's, that's a mm -hmm. lot of people. Mm -hmm. But it's a whole, like a whole month. Because you have the qualifying, and you have a bunch of weekends. Right. It's not just race day. That's true. Yeah. So I've never been to race day, but I've been twice for the qualifying. Uh-huh. Race day is, is organized chaos. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But yeah. there, even the, the guys on the gate, they know you? Oh, sure. Yes, I got to know all the guards. Of course... It wasn't me, it was the magic that I was doing. I always say I would show them a trick and they would remember it. Mm, I still I still stand by that it's you. You're the magic. And you performed in the suites, which was so wonderful that um, my brother and I were there with you and I got to go back another time. Mm -hmm. My father has been with you and you've been so kind and generous to take many friends over the years, so they had the chance to experience. That's right. I took a different person every year for many, many years. Yeah. One of the uh, funny stories is uh, way back in 1973, when I was sort of new at Indy, uh, there was a race owner by the name of Lindsey Hopkins. He he did some magic in his early days, but he was a multi-multi-millionaire from Florida. And one year he had six cars in the race. And uh, I happened to be going through the garage area early race day morning, uh, two or four hours before the race began. And they would let the public in there if you, if you had a pass. And a friend of mine I happened to run into outside the gate, and he said, can you get me into the garage area? And I said, oh, sure, come on, Sandy. And he didn't know any of the drivers but he uh, personally, but he knew who they were. And we walked by Lindsay Hopkins' garage, and Sandy looked at me and says, Oh, there's Lindsay Hopkins' garage. Golly, he's really something. I said, Yes, he's a friend of mine, and I'd introduce you to him, but it's race day, and uh, he's just too busy. So we walked a few feet farther, and, and my hearing wasn't good those days, and 
Sandy said to me, Bill, that old man is hollering at you. I said, where? And he said, where we just were. And I looked back and it was Lindsay Hopkins motioning for me to come <laughs> to his uh, garage. So I said, well, that's Lindsay. Come on. We'll, now you can meet him. So we went up and the first thing Lindsay Hopkins said to me was, Hannah, he always called me Hannah. He had that southern accent. Hannah, have you got that rosin cod trick with you? I'd like you to show that to my friends. <laughs> I thought, that is really something. The guy has got uh, $6 million worth of race cars, about to start a race soon, and he wants me to show him a trick. <laughs> yeah, it's because you just make people so happy, and... You know, these guys are super talented, you know, they're driving these cars and uh, something that we would never be able to do, but what they see you doing is so spectacular that you know, the, the skill and the practice and the, but as I said, it's not, it's not the tricks, it's the fun you create when it's you do it. It's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. That's what I'm trying to say, yes. <laughs> what One of my prouder moments in life was, uh, it was race day in Indianapolis back in the 80s, and a lot of the astronauts used to come to uh, the race. They were friends with some of the race drivers, and one of them was Pete Conrad, the astronaut. He was the third man on the moon, and the race had already been over, and the motel rooms were right there at the track, and Jim Rathman, one of the drivers, former drivers that asked me to come to his motel room after the race. He's going to have a little party and have some people in. Wanted me to do a little magic. So I said, sure, Jim. So after the raceway, I went there and Pete Conrad, the astronaut, was there. And of course, I had known him from previous years and I was about ready to start my little routine and Pete said, hey, Bill, wait just a minute. Can you wait just a minute? And I said, sure. And so I so he flew out the door of the motel, and he was back in about two minutes. He had his movie camera. He said, I want to film this. Now you can start. <laughs> I love that. Here's a man that's been on the moon, wanted to film my magic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's so wonderful. And mm. you, you, yeah, you, you've met astronauts. You've met, uh, you know, a lot of people would know David Hasselhoff, uh, Arnold Palmer, the golfer. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of NASCAR drivers. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that probably in Australia that uh, there's probably celebrities here that we mm-hmm. don't know so much back home. But mm-hmm. I love that in your lounge room, you've got this, uh, it's like a, um, I don't know, what do you call it? Like a blind. And it's got a bunch of picture frames on it. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. With uh, different so, celebrities. Some of those special moments. Of the year. Uh-huh. So that was a career highlight. Are there, can you tell us another couple of career highlights or life highlights? Uh, Aladdin. Uh, many years ago, I did a show for an auto dealer back in Monroe who was a close friend. Joe Durth had the Chrysler dealership. And Joe used to throw a big party every year. Uh, this back in the early 60s. And uh, Joe, uh, uh, Lawrence Welk, the TV show, was sponsored by Chrysler Corporation. So one time, Joe called the uh, Hollywood to get see if Aladdin, one of their uh, performers, would come out for his grand opening of the new car. And of course, Aladdin said yes, and he came out, and uh, I, I got to know Aladdin very well. And 
three days later, Joe said, take Aladdin back to the airport at Chicago when he was ready to go. So I took him back and we arrived at O'Hare fairly early and Aladdin said, Bill, why don't you come in and I'll buy you lunch and uh, I don't fly for three hours yet. So as we walked into the airport area, Aladdin said, Bill, I want to buy my wife a something, little gift. So we went into a gift shop and uh, Aladdin is wandering around. He went one way and I went another. And uh, the clerk said to me, who's that man you came in here with? I said, well, that's Aladdin from the Lawrence Welk show. And she said, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I, I'm so excited. I just love that show. And I said, you know, it's funny. Everybody always recognizes him. Few people recognize me. And she looked sort of bewildered. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. Who are you? I said, I'm one of the doctors of the Ben Casey show, which was a phony, just a joke, you know. And she thought it was serious. She said, oh, of course you are. <laughs> and Aladdin was taking all of this in with his ear. He came up, he said, you big con artist. <laughs> so that. anyway, uh, been a lot of fun. That was fun. The road to life is interesting, and you have to smell the flowers as, as you go through it. I think you've done another thing that I admire about you is that, uh, I mean, you've been a freelancer all this time, really. You've been your own... Much of the life, uh, my life, I've been self-employed. That's incredible mm -hmm. to be, you know, I think um, small businesses and um, business owners, I mean, that's there are a lot of self-made people, but you don't really see people hear about the people who are one man show, literally one man show, yeah, but yeah. the you have, you know, provided for yourself, not only provided for yourself, you had three planes, uh, three at different times. Yes. But the, still, these are small airplanes, uh, <laughs> two place and four place. Not many people have owned an airplane though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, lots of, lots of people own small airplanes. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I've never owned an airplane, so oh, it's no, impressive well, to me. Um, so you used to fly airplanes. Uh, and a small airplane is probably is like the cost of a car. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, a little bit higher, but not much. But my first airplane cost us surprisingly $900. Okay. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, that was in 1955. Uh, it was a 1948 model Luscombe. And it, it only it held two people with 65 horsepower but it would go 100 miles an hour. And uh, yes, I had that airplane for about six years and flew it 100,000 miles. And uh, what should I say? Uh, I gave a lot of interesting people rides or people for their first airplane ride. In fact, Billy Poopley, who was here uh, at my party, uh, who's a multi-millionaire now, his very first airplane ride was with me. And now he owns a jet of his own. Yeah, cool. <laughs> well, and we, the person who hosted your birthday was John Clatt, who was... Yes, John Clatt is an amazing guy. He's one of the top airshow pilots in the world. And when he was, wasn't was doing that, his office was the uh, cockpit of a 777 United Airliner. Yeah, and so you had, you know, race car drivers and pilots and business owners and amazing people at your party, people who'd served in the military as well. But you, you know, not only did you do Indy 500, 
for 50 years, you did a lot of years at the air shows as well. And it didn't, was it John or someone else took you up just a couple years ago in one of the jets? Oh, uh, no, uh, John, I used to fly with John many times in his passenger plane and in his aerobatic plane. So you were doing like loops and stuff? Oh, sure, loops and dives and we would do the, uh, goes right straight up. Those aerobatic planes are built for, you know, they're 300 horsepower and the weight only 1,200 pounds. It'll go straight up to 10,000 feet and then do a hammerhead, what they call it, and come right straight down. And, and what did you tell John when you, you came, you did a ride, and when you got out the plane, you told him something? Oh, well, he kept saying, are you okay? He was doing some very delicate, uh, easy maneuvers, some rolls, which doesn't put any pressure on you. And he would say, are you all right, Bill? And I said, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I said, when do we do the good stuff? <laughs> and he said, you asked for it. We went right straight up to 10,000 feet did a hammerhead stall and came right straight down to the, towards the ground. And the, the ground gets really big all of a sudden. The, the uh, airport below you or the ground looks, grows really big. And when you pull out, you think you're going to go right through the bottom of the seat. And it, it was a, a, a little bit of a struggle. And he said, are you all right? And I said, when do we do the good stuff again? <laughs> <laughs> was that a lot of pressure on your body, though? Oh yeah, G-force. Oh yeah, when you when you pull out like that, <laughs> and that was what like a couple years all ago. All the blood goes out of your your the blood goes drains out of your head, and that's what can cause you to black out. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> and this is just part of your life. That's just the things you do. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, can you? One other thing that really impresses me is your memory. I mean, I called you from Papua New Guinea um, in 2019, so three years ago, four years ago. I was doing a trek on the Kokoda, and I met a man who was 75, and he was very interested in the war and had had relatives in the war, and uh, he'd been there many times. And I called you because I said, I think you were in this region maybe... You told me you'd been to Papua New Guinea. I, I, I don't know about Papua. I've been to uh, Finchhaven, Ley, Buna, where the huge battle was in World War Two. You were in Aro Bay, so you were in Papua New Guinea. Aro Bay. Yeah, is that pa where Papua? That's Papua New Guinea. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. okay, sure. Oro, Oro Bay was the first place we went. Yes. And when I called you, uh -huh. you we were on FaceTime with this guy. Oh, yeah. And it was just, his name is Richard. Mm -hmm. And he's still mm -hmm. a dear friend, and you were blowing his mind because uh -huh. yeah. you told a story about meeting a friend from back in Monroe. Right. And you told it like it was yesterday. Uh-huh. I can see it just as plain as if it was yesterday right now. It's incredible. Uh-huh, yeah. We had been... Uh, uh, the ship was in the bay. We couldn't get unloaded. They only had a number docks built at the time so half of the crew every day could we'd take a small boat shore and we'd ride around the island with the army trucks and and uh, the fighting was not too far away from that area and uh, anyway uh, we were in a small little uh, hut that was built on the side of the road where the soldiers could come in and get a drink of water and went in there and the, the walls were painted with cardboard from the boxes of containers uh, 
cargo they'd had and soldiers had signed their names. And I'm looking at all these names and I saw Pat Connors, Monroe, Wisconsin. I said, oh my gosh. And he had a, an address underneath it. And I said to a soldier, where would this be? And he said, well, it's up the road about two or three miles. He said that uh, there's a whole bunch of tents up there. You'd see it. So I hitchhiked up there and went, poked my head in about, these tents would hold about 12 soldiers. There are hundreds of tents. And after poking my head in about six tents, I got the right one. And uh, Pat was not there at the time. The fellow said, well, he'll be back in a few little bit. And I said, what, which is his cot? And he pointed the cot out and I sat down on it. And uh, all, all of a sudden, I guess I laid back and I must have dozed off. And all of a sudden I hear a voice that, who the heck is that guy in my cot? And I, I sat up and had, saw me, who I was, and he gave me the biggest hug I've ever had in my life. <laughs> he said, oh my gosh, I never expected to see you here. And so we were, we were in New Guinea for probably a month, and I took him to the ship many times for dinner to get him good food, mm-hmm. hot food. And uh, there was a little swimming creek behind where his tents were. And we'd go swimming there once in a while. <laughs> Poor Pat. He, he developed Alzheimer's at 59 years old and, and died. And passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad you still have that memory of mm-hmm. him. And that's so incredible that you're in the middle of the South Pacific and you found a friend from yes. your hometown, mm-hmm. Monroe. I did. Yeah. And that's, though, you know, uh, the war was pretty awful and everything, but you had, uh, you had a, you had good memories of the, of being in the Navy. Many many good ones. Uh, 90% of the time it was not too bad. 10% we had terrible uh, action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were, you said, I, you were saying the other day, you remember when they told you that the war was done and you were going to go home Mm -hmm. and you didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. Right. But since then you did a lot of travel then, and then you've, you continued to travel and you got to come back to Australia twice. That's right. Twice only when I was. Uh, yeah, um, ninety-five or so, five, and, yeah. and two hundred four with Wayne. Yeah, so that was so special to have you in Sydney in the Opera House. Like we have a photo of when I was eight years old outside the Opera House, mm-hmm. and just across the harbor was where you were in hospital mm-hmm. in nineteen forty-five. Right? That's right. So uh, that was fifty years later, and you're standing there with me. And we have a picture together, and that's. I called you one day. I remember FaceTime, and I was on the ferry in Sydney Harbour, and we were FaceTiming, and I was pointing to where you were. That was seventy-five years difference. That's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we better go and have some brunch with one of your many friends here in Palm Springs. Um, I love you endlessly, and I'm so grateful for all that you've done for me, but all the lessons. You've taught, you've taught me. Well, you're so welcome, and I love you too, of course. <laughs> you and your family, you mean the world to me. Yeah, it's very special, and um, as I've said many times, you're, so, you're a brilliant magician, and your tricks are so fun, and I never get tired of seeing you, you know, do them, but my favorite part is watching the other person, because you light them up, 
And there's that's, so much joy. That's my pay. The reward is the smile in little children's faces. <laughs> and adults who look bewildered. <laughs> yes. Bewitched, bewildered. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. And um, congratulations on 100 years. You are magic. Oh, I thank you, uh, Cousin Emma. And uh, appreciate everything that you've done for me. And I want to hear this podcast one day. <laughs> I'll get it up soon. Love you. <laughs> Love you. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of Live and Love Your Brand. I'm so grateful that you've shared your time by listening today. That means so much to me. And if you're loving what you're learning, I would be so appreciative if you'd leave a review, rate this podcast and subscribe. It really shows me that you care, but it also helps other listeners to find us too. Again, please be sure to connect with me. I love hearing from you and getting to know your story. You can connect with me on Instagram at lovelycoms, Facebook, Lovely Communications, and please do join the gorgeous community, Live and Love Your Brand, our Facebook group. Or if you're ready to take action now and want to improve how you show up in the world with your brand, then head on over to lovelycommunications.com. Again, lovely is L-O-V-E-L-L-Y, communications.com, to learn how you can work with me. My clients have gone on to experience opportunities that they could never have dreamed of. From starting businesses to taking leadership in their own life, they have found the confidence to stand in who they are and to go wholeheartedly after what they truly want in life. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to invest in yourself and reconnect with who you are, then let's chat. Thank you again for listening. Now go into the world and share the beauty that is the uniqueness of you. Catch you next week, lovely.